Welcome to the Two Our Gathered Catholic Podcast with Father Rob Kroll and me, Jim Fellows, subbing in again as a champ that he is, is Father Brian Lynch. We are here at Transfiguration Church. If you are in the Twin Cities and you haven't been out here, this is like one of the most gorgeous churches you're ever going to see. Father Brian, how are you doing? I am well, Jim. Good to be with you. Thank you for filling in again. My pleasure. This is fun. Yeah, I like it. (laughs) I think I mentioned this before, but... Um, the one that we did on you battling Satanists, hugely popular. Oh, good. Yeah, well, it's. It, uh, I think, thankfully, it's a kind of a unique story. Most priests don't have to do right. that. So uh, that's probably probably good. Right. So, yeah. So, no, I was happy to, happy to share. I think it comes second to our podcast on the con- Consecrations of St. Joseph. Oh, nice. So if there's some way that you could combine the two... Ooh, if that would just he's blow, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And it's like, well, and so when I consecrated myself to Saint Joseph, and then I went and fought Satanists. Um, so um, again, how's your summer going? You know, it's it's pretty good. We had our presbyteral assembly in the, sort of a, a month ago, and we all the priests we gathered in a new location. The priests of the Archdiocese of Saint Paul, in Minneapolis, we gathered in Winona at. St. Mary University, and that was a, a real nice gathering. A lot of emphasis on priestly fraternity, and I've I've tried to act on some of that and tried to be more intentional about getting together with other priests. Oh. and and I think that's uh, I think that's a significant significant thing. And yeah, it's you know it's mid late later summer i'd say and uh, or so uh yeah so it's still a little bit of of slower time and gives an opportunity to prepare for the coming year and do some planning so that's that's good all right yeah well what do we want to talk about today well i think i i i, I did read i read a book that you and and father rob kroll of the two are gathered catholic podcast uh had 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 reviewed and uh-huh. I it was um, I read the book it was from Christendom to Apostolic Mission mm-hmm. Pastoral Strategies for an Apostolic Age and um, strangely the author's name is not on the front of the book it's That's not anywhere odd. on oh the book oh my goodness it's, uh, it's, it's what a strange it's apparently the entire um, theological departments they all came together on it but they didn't want oh. to give one name to it oh okay so it's well, just makes it awkward it is it's just the, the author so anyhow i read it and um and i thought it was really good i thought uh, it helps me to understand a lot of what i've experienced in my priesthood and life you know i'm i'm 52 and i've been a priest for 15 years and yeah, what I think he he gave he gave words and names to phenomena situations that I've experienced, but were maybe somewhat difficult to grasp onto. And and he's given some some vocabulary. Or they. Or they. Sorry, <laughs> they. Yeah. And and uh, that is helpful. I think it's helpful. So the uh that so i wanted to i thought we would talk a little bit about the book okay again yeah i, and, I think i remember the book oh yeah it was a, it was a 
few months ago, but you know, maybe, but and somebody but, just gave it to you out of the blue or well, my boss. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, so I, I, I read it and, and I think you know, this is, this is the case for when you guys covered it a, f a few months ago now that many of us, you know, we didn't have it in our hands and we had other stuff we were doing and, right. And so, you know, maybe even more listeners, a lot, it's an, this is an encouragement to, to get this book and to, to read it. And as I said, it, it helped me to understand a lot of what I've experienced. You, you, you repeatedly hear people, uh, let's say my parents' age with children my age, adult children, uh, people in senior citizens who they they sent their kids to catholic schools mm -hmm. and they went for maybe 12 years of catholic school and they've they've left the practice of the faith and they they the parents can't understand what what went wrong we hear stories of that the rates for divorce rates of abortion rates of any number of social issues for Catholics are virtually indistinguishable from the rest of society. Uh, we we find that thirty percent believe in the, in the real presence of the in the blessed of Jesus in the blessed right. sacrament. We just we just all these. What one of the most shocking days of my priesthood, and, and I, it is strange in a way because I don't think it was the intention of of the archbishop at the time but he sent us a letter that indicated that 85 percent of young people who are confirmed leave the the faith, practice of the faith within five years and i i was totally blindsided i had maybe that's extremely naive but i was shocked i, I was absolutely shocked right. it was hard for me to to believe and then I started to look into it and there was like it was true in, in some you know in a particular metric and hopefully some of them return but um, how how can all of these things be and I think that this book helps us to understand that the the families that we were born into the institutions we were raised in, they were led by people who assumed that they themselves were told that you could basically be passive in your practice of the faith. Right. You could be, and it what and it still was, go to heaven. This is not. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's not that they said this directly, but everything that they did. And, and said came from a place where they understood and were communicating that you can be passive in the practice of your faith and you will continue to have a Christian outlook. You will continue to behave as a Christian. You will continue to believe as a Christian. And all of our institutions, mm -hmm. our schools, our government, they're all gonna they're all going to continue to operate on biblical principles because 
we and our society is completely imbued with biblical principles and they have formed the laws and the people and the structures and so you just have to not cause any damage right and if you do cause little damage you might try to fix what you've broken but but other than that you're you're pretty much free to go coast with the culture just kind of float along with the culture well but the first shocking thing that you've told me is that you're 52 and i thought we there was a bigger age disparity between the two of us oh oh yeah especially when you were at saint ambrose i'm like I'm going out to lunch with that young Father Brian. Well, I was newly ordained, but I wasn't. I wasn't young. <laughs> I thought you were a lot younger than I was. No, I thought well, I, I, I kicked you like fifteen, twenty years younger. No, no, gosh, <laughs> not four. Yeah, I wish I was that much. Well, yeah, who knows? But um, <laughs> uh, so that that what they what they were describing, what they understood or thought was that they were living in Christendom, right? That's yeah. what Christendom is. Christendom is when people, institutions, social structures are all imbued with, formed by, governed by biblical principles, and everyone can kind of coast along and just go with the flow because the flow is Christian. And even if you weren't Judeo-Christian yourself, if you weren't Jewish or Christian... The principles themselves, atheists and and other groups would still be like, yeah, those are okay. And so, yeah. that's a good way to live society. Well, yeah, there was it was it was. I think the the social pressure was to for polite society was to largely conform to that. Certainly right. not not uh, energetically and uh, publicly oppose and try to undermine. And, and go against right and uh, my have things have ch- how things have changed in the last 50 75 years 100 okay. years uh, do you have any theories as to why um, that's happened within um, the Catholic Church well the I think when I listened to or read the book, or listen to you and, and Father. I think, I think World War One has been identified as a real sort of end of of Christendom in some right. very robust. I think sense. that's in the book. I don't think Father Robert. I know okay. I didn't say that. Okay, Father so, Robert said that he's pretty smart. So I think I think World War One, when you had Christian nations. Uh, in the Great War, killing people in in numbers and right. ways that had never been had never been saw, seen before, I guess. And uh, I, I I think that was the end of a very robust Christendom, and and we didn't experience it as directly because we had an ocean between us and them and all. But since then, I guess it's been a slow. A slow un- unrolling more and more pervasively in Europe, and mm-hmm. and then to jump over over here, the World War Two certainly did not uh, didn't I mean, help. It, it I mean it helped <laughs> in that it defeated 
Hitler. Uh, Hitler. Yeah, no, that was a, that was a good thing. That was, good. that was a good benefit. But you know that we needed another world war was certainly not what people hoped after right. the first one. And um, yeah, and then I think uh, it, it's it's I don't I'm not a great historian. I I don't necessarily know which what. If, what the cause and effect would be between the, the sexual revolution and the Second Vatican Council and you know, which was a response to which one and, mm-hmm. or if they just happened to coincide in you know a similar time frame. I a lot of, lot of pieces coming together at the right. Yeah. A lot of ingredients in the stew. Yeah. Um, the, uh, yeah. So, so I don't, I guess I don't I don't know and understand the why of it, but I know that it that it happened. Yeah, I don't know if I I don't think I shared this my my personal theory on the last podcast. You can you, you listen to it. You can tell me if I did or didn't. But uh, I think that part of excuse me, I think a part of our problem as uh, Catholics is that um, up until about the forties. In the fifties, um, we had multiple, multiple priests in every church, yeah. and it was smaller churches. And so there was a priest that was in charge of the catechesis, and there was a priest in charge of the music, and there was, you know, it was just. And with the with the the now that we have less priests, I think that the focus of the of the I know that the fo- focus of the Catholic Church is on sacraments. Which is appropriate. First and foremost, the primary focus should be on sacraments. But like you were talking about the confirmation kids leaving, they're kind of given, and the parents are kind of given the impression that once you get confirmed, you know everything you need to know about the Catholic Church and you can go about your way. Which is, you know, a sad state of affairs because that's not true. Well, no, I think, yeah, what you said reminded me of some things. I think that in the Christendom model, the, there is the, the institutions, the churches and the schools are led by professional Christians who are responsible for the teaching and the evangelization. And when you have, and in a robust Christendom, you have, great numbers of these professional right. dedicated so people feed the the average I'm not blaming priests no 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 <laughs> I'm saying I'm saying that the average the average layperson doesn't feel the need to be as as engaged in in sharing the faith with right. others they they um they delegate that to the professional religious right. people, right? And so right. they take care of, of other things. And the, I think what happened in what people, we have maybe failed to respond to was that with the loss of so many priests and religious in the 60s, you know, around the 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. that all those people who were supposed to be doing that explicitly religious work they stopped doing it and then the few the few that priests that remained are i say tied up in administrative tasks they've got 
oh, we've got all these parishes right. with, and and your typical parish now has a, a, a single priest in it, and he's tied up in so much administrative work that he's not even able to do the a lot of the religious religious work that he's more suited for and, and trained to do and that we need and then the laity wasn't prepared to pick up the pieces right so a lot a lot was yeah a lot of unfortunate circumstances came together in in that time i wonder as you're talking i'm wondering and there's no way to answer this at all but um, the first, the, the thought that crossed my mind was, um, when Roe v. Wade became law, how many priests did we lose in the womb? That oh, got oh, aborted. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean, contraception for that. I mean, that's clearly an issue when, I mean, I, it's so hard to, I, I've been really frustrated at times, you know, I, I want to pray for vocations and I want to ask my people to pray for vocations, but I want them to be, I don't want them to be praying. I don't want them to be lying. And I just unfortunately have this terrible feeling at times that when we're praying for vocations, we're, we're hoping God's going to pluck them out of some third world country. That's not going to really mess up my plans for, for my life, you right. know? Um, and when you have, I'm, when he, when a family's had six, eight, ten kids, to have um, a couple religious and a couple priests in there, no no big deal, right? You're right. still gonna have you're still gonna have grandchildren. You're still gonna have kids in in the world with whom you're able to regular rec, recreate more regularly and right. gather with. But when you're down to two, your odds are down. You're, I mean, that's a that's uh that's quite a that's that's a large fraction of your of your your children and, and your potential grandchildren to be yeah to be giving up so to speak so it's yeah it, it's it's a, a lot of factors uh so brian uh, father brian's message for today is have more babies I'm. I love babies. I, I think that. Yeah, I think more That's babies. Not a bad how can you ever have too many kittens? How can you ever have too many babies? I think that Mother Teresa would said stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, more kittens, more babies. That's all awesome. I ran into a friend of mine on Tuesday, and they are in expectation of their ninth child. Wow. Yeah. Are they Catholic? They are. Priests? Yeah. Nuns? Probably. There's probably a couple. And then, I, you know, another friend of mine um, has seven kids, and currently one of them is entering seminary. So Fantastic. You're not... You, this is all proven your theory here. Well, it's anecdotal, I think. <laughs> but it's pretty... I think it's pretty... No, I think it, it's statistically proven. Statistics you know. is statistically yeah. sound. Okay. <laughs> I'll take that. All right. So anyhow, so yeah, so we're not in Christendom anymore. Newsflash: yeah. that we have um, we have a president who uh, identifies as Catholic and is completely at odds with some fundamental teachings of the church. We have other politicians who are 
uh, publicly challenging bishops to deny him communion, and um, it's it's um, it's not it's not the good old days when the king was was crowned by the archbishop or right. the pope and uh, was considered to be the the protector of of the faith. Right. And uh, yeah, it's 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 very different than that, and uh, so the 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 issue is that we are in a time of transition from Christendom to what is being called the, an apostolic culture which is a, I think can be a little confusing because we I think the word apostolic can come across as being very and it and it do, it is a very robust faith but but the name it's uh it's meant to also get at the fact that the apostles were in in a tiny minority, right? Uh, and the apostles lived in a in a pagan, or when the, certainly when they went out in outside of uh, Israel to the Gentiles, they were operating in in pagan territories, right. and so they were not able didn't want to but it never crossed their mind to be passive and in in maintenance mode right they had to be very proactive and on offense and trying to advance the kingdom because it was so small right so um as we make a transition out of christendom into what is called apostolic mission it we we if we continue to use the strategies of passivity and maintenance that were effective in in the age of christendom th- these strategies are no longer effective right. and the church will will and the, the faith will continue to diminish unless we make a shift in and use other strategies that are proactive and I think you said in the in the review that you guys did to we we have to get outside of our comfort zone the yeah. the the Christendom culture allowed people to stay in their comfort zone right and there would not you wouldn't see your you wouldn't see your family become non-Christian. You wouldn't see your parish close. You wouldn't see your school fail. Right. Um, but but that's that that's no longer the case. We have to be. Parents can't delegate the education of their children to sister and father. Right. That. That it no longer it no longer works. No longer exists. In some cases, no longer exists. Yeah. I think I think you make a, a and this is the first time I considered it when you were talking about referring to it as the apostolic mission. That it's almost a daunting title, because none of us, I mean, excluding you, um, but the the rest of us probably don't uh, think of ourselves as apostles. Yeah. And then it's, it's like, well, how, uh, apostles are kind of, that's kind of a big title. Mm-hmm. But the thing that, and then as I'm thinking this through as you're talking, is that, you know, the, the apostles 
converted, you know, thousands of people, but then also thousands of people became martyrs who were unnamed. Yeah. Just had were influenced by the apostles, were influenced yeah. by other people, and then became martyrs. And then that martyrdom influenced so many more people to join the faith. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's a beautiful liturgical celebration. The June 29th is the Feast of the Apostles Peter and Paul. Mm -hmm. And the very next day is the, 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 the Feast of the Roman Martyrs, who mm -hmm. were the, the folks who were, were turned into human uh, torches to light up Nero's palace, right? And so the the obviously the apostles Peter and Paul who were heroic and and martyrs themselves and, and extremely well known they inspired these Roman martyrs who are largely unnamed mm -hmm. to but it was of course a great a much larger number of, of them than just the two apostles so yeah and uh so we have, you know, we have different roles to play. The that we happen to be recording this on the feast of Saint Mary Magdalene, right? And and only recently elevated to the status of a feast. And this this was something that that Pope Francis himself did, and some of his his motive to raise it from what's called a memorial to a higher rank feast is was to encourage evangelization among a, a greater diversity of peoples and I think by implication by a greater diversity of peoples which in in Mary Magdalene would of course include women mm -hmm. explicitly and and then by extension, people who are not priests and apostles, and, and, who are not pre who are not ordained, right? Because apostle means someone who's sent. And there's in in the history of the church, there's there though I think as Catholics we get so familiar with the term 12 apostles we start we it's possible that we think that there were only 12 apostles and right. that was a very limited in time and but that the 12 is sort of a distinct title from apostles the 12 were apostles but the 12 are distinct from a much larger group of people called apostles, most notably St. Paul, not one of the twelve, but called the apostle at, at times. Well, didn't he... I'm sorry, didn't he become one of the twelve? No. Because we lost, we lost Judas, there was no, only eleven. No, Matthias replaced Judas. Oh, okay, alright. Yeah, no, um... I so, didn't know the order of that. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 okay. so, yeah, so this is not uncommon that... So... Um, Barnabas was an apostle. Right. Timothy was uh, was an apostle. There, uh, we, we've got um, a much larger group. At Saint Patrick is called the Apostle of Ireland, right? Sure. He and he lived three hundred some years after Jesus. He he was sent in a sense in in the dream that he had that said, "Come, you know." Call, calling him back to Ireland, mm -hmm. and um, so yeah, so there's um, 
so we even it's even it's even possible now for us to be apostles and and if if we uh, we discern that and are sent to to bring the the gospel to someone you know it could be someone in our immediate family circumstances it could be it could be um it could be it could entail going somewhere else i suppose All right but the truth is because we're no longer in in christendom we have it's very likely that we have opportunities in wherever we're sitting we have to use oakdale for for us uh uh, Woodbury for you. Uh, the I was again just to to um, to make the point really concrete. I was at I ha- we have a six p.m. mass on Sunday, and I was at I was standing in our gathering space part of the six p.m. mass, and I see a a young a young couple. I mean, like re- like truly young, like twenty mm-hmm. early twenties, and. He's wearing a tie. I mean, he's clearly dressed up for church, and 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 she was too. And I'm, this is not. And I'm thinking to myself, experience. This is not normal. This right. is this has become abnormal. And um, in my mind, in Christendom, with my, unfortunately, my Christendom mindset, anyone dressed like this. Is you know they they probably they prop and 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 someone that I I'm not with whom I'm not familiar with they're they're maybe they're 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 from out of town they're visiting and this or whatever this was their the the one opportunity they had to go to church and they they came here but um they're they're certainly baptized and confirmed and they're they're probably gonna be kissing my hands or something like they're really devout right are you cool with that. What the hand kissing? Oh, um, it never happens, so it's not okay. <laughs> but I, I was exaggerating. But um, okay, but um, one of the two, one of I uh, so I said, I said, you know, hey, you guys, what's going on? You guys are all, you know, it's it's Sunday evening. You're all dressed up. You're at church. What what why and what's going on? And and he he the the one one of them explained that. Uh, a brother had had a, a radical conversion, and it seemed to have taken in other members wow. of his family. That's nice. And the other one was not baptized, even. Which, again, in in a Christendom worldview, anyone at church on Sunday evening who is dressed for church is clearly baptized and confirmed. And confirmed. Yeah. But it's a different world. Wow. We, we we live in a world where. There are adults now whose parents thought, presumably, that it was better to let them figure it out on their own. Yeah. And so they're out there. So, you know, we have, I think, I'm convinced that we have opportunities that we don't, we assume do not exist. Right. There are people out there that they're, they're, yeah, they're, 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 they're not baptized, they're not catechized, and we... For it's good to go to foreign countries and be a missionary, but if you happen to be in the circumstances where 
you um, are not able to do that, and it, you don't think you, and you don't think it's God's will for you to to do that. Right. You, you can do some of that work in. For goodness sake, you can do it at Transfiguration Church, right? <laughs> because uh, apparently they're here, and right. who knew? <laughs> you know, it's it's just very it's hard for someone I think with my Asian experience to right. to understand that that's that is actually the case. That's the that's the reality. That's the reality. I was uh, I was having a conversation with uh, a woman. This was years ago. And she had uh, two kids. She was divorced. She's a lovely person. And we were talking about her kids. And I, I said, do you, you know, did, somehow the subject of religion came up. I may have brought it up. Who knows? But uh, she, she said, I'm not involved with religion because I want my children to make their own choices on that. And I looked at her and I'm like, do you do that with food too? Because they're like two and four. I'm like, are you just letting them eat whatever they want and they're going to make their own life choices that way? Yeah. Well, clearly... <laughs> she didn't know, talk to me much after that. Yeah, not to be too hard on her. That 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 betrays what we think is important or significant, right? When we let people... When we let three-year-olds figure it out on their own we you know we so we wouldn't do that with food or shelter or clothing or what they're watching on t- hopefully what they're watching yeah on well TV. And, yeah maybe even so yeah so unfortunately that that betrays the um yeah and, and that's that is another component of the uh, you i think called when you were talking about the culture we're in now secular humanism mm-hmm. i I like uh, relativism mm-hmm. is alive and well, and uh, so there, yeah, things are just so so different than many of us were led to believe and told that they were. When uh, when I was getting my master's, um, I had a professor who was a priest and called himself a secular humanist, and I was like. I'm not going to ask this question now because I need to get a grade from you. But how? How do you? How can you justify that? Yeah, I, I would be interested to know his explanation. Yeah, I don't. I, but it seems like a bad. Uh, yeah, something's off. Yeah, <laughs> that was my opinion. Nice guy. Um, learned a lot from him, but. Uh, Secular humanist priest does not. Uh, that's that's the first and only one that. I've Good. Met. Good. Well, probably not too surprising that if you were going to meet one, it would be in an academic. Yeah, situation. no, that's that's a fair point. That's a really good point. I mean, it would be awfully hard to do in a parish. I'm a secular humanist working in a parish. That would. Be, I mean, not. Yeah. Well. I, don't I mean, know. just seeing secular humanists at a parish would be <laughs> odd. Yeah. Then, but to the priest. Yeah. <laughs> that would just. I wouldn't know what to do. So, so we've got to do... Well, we don't have to do anything. I often find myself correcting myself. I'll, I'll, I'll be excited and I'll say, we have to. And no, the truth is, we don't have to do anything. And, 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 and often we will choose not to do anything. And, and sadly, maybe some of us will, will choose to, to do very little. But we have opportunities to do lots of, of things differently. And I think that is being more proactive in, in sharing our faith, inviting others 
to faith, inviting others to participate, inviting others to pray, mm-hmm. and there's all kinds of different different ways to do that. I uh, I myself have found an organization, St. Paul Street Evangelization, to be empowering mm-hmm. and practical in in helps. There's a a book that they well, it was published by Ignatius, I think, called Catholic Street Evangelization, I think is the title. Mm-hmm. That um, it, it's, a, it's a collection of about 10 testimonies by Catholic street evangelists of really different backgrounds and personalities. And I think what's nice about it is that you probably will see someone in there that has personality traits that you've assumed um, dispense you from make you ineligible for being an evangelist. Mm-hmm. And then you read like, oh my gosh, this person is just like me. And, and he or she is sharing the faith with complete strangers. Right. And what, I think when you read these these concrete instances, it's... It, it, it's inspiring. Mm-hmm. It's 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 really um, and then and then the the organization itself, uh, Saint Paul Street Evangelization, has all kinds of resources and tools and for 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 doing the work of evangelization. So that, is it a big organization? Because this is the first I've heard of it. Yeah, um, I think when I was looking at the website recently, I I think I the number I saw was. 200 teams that I think that was wow. most, you know for the country oh okay so right. it's uh it's what so it's not St. Paul the city it's St. Paul the Saint yeah 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 okay yeah yeah <laughs> no like 200 not, teams in no, the city yeah. of St. Paul no, no. that whole city's gonna no. be Catholic yeah city. no it, it, it's funny that we're so uh, fortunate I mean not as yeah clearly not many states have their capital named after a saint and an apostle. I mean, we're we're pretty unique in in that. That's true. Regard, but yeah, no, it's it's Saint Saint Paul Street Evangelization, not not the not Minnesota Saint Saint Paul, but um, yeah. So they're terrific, and then um, I've got a a book next to me too by Terry Barber on how to share your faith with anyone: a practical manual for Catholic evangelization. And I think one of the things that that Terry does well and he does a lot of things well but one of the chapters is about sharing your own story sharing your as personal witness as evangelization and and what i think the 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 power in this is that none of us has to be an expert on the catechism or the bible to to tell our own story right it's it's certainly nice and good. We we should all be striving to know more ob- objectively of the, what the faith is and what we believe and why. But it, what's nice is with our personal story. What why is anyone going to argue with us about our our personal? Story? This is my experience of, right. of Jesus. Oh, that didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that seems unnecessarily <laughs> being unnecessarily difficult. Right. right. <laughs> um, but um but yeah yeah so i think you know we can and and it might take some time to identify our story and what i i not 
some months ago, I led the women who are perishing in an exercise where I, I encouraged them to pray about and identify some benefit that you experience in being a disciple of Jesus, of living your life for Jesus. Now, this is for people who are, are you, admittedly, you have to be kind of committed to do this kind of witnessing. Mm -hmm. it, it requires that you have some experiences, I, I suppose. So you, you, you would need to be able to identify some benefit, some good thing that you enjoy as a consequence of living your life for Jesus. And it could be it could be a a, a a robust sense of freedom i'm not no i no longer do i have to keep up with the joneses no longer do i have to be in the rat race trying to make more money get mm -hmm. more degrees get do all these things work you know, outrageous hours to to try to advance my career i don't have to live up to the expectations that my my dysfunctional family or my friends have put on me i i i might be free, i might experience freedom from addictions of various kinds and and so um so i i might i might experience a a a, a confident hope a joy of of living forever with with god hmm. i that that is another possible benefit. I might experience purpose and direction in my life. I might experience being loved and accepted mm -hmm. in a way that, that I had not experienced before. So I think it, it's crucial that we... This is going to be the good news of our own personal testimony. This is going to be the the honey that's going to attract and motivate others to to desire to follow Christ as well, right? There needs to be something good that that they're going to be attracted to right. to to, to sort of yeah persuade them that this is this is for them that there's something some good in in it for them, right? We all want to be happy. It, it's gonna be it's gonna be fundamentally something. That is going to give them what we would call in in the world happiness. Theologically, it would be a joy, some, uh, sure. uh, a joy that's independent of of what hu human beings think about us or, or do to us. Right? It's going to be mm -hmm. it's going to be deeper than happiness. But um, so we have to identify this good, this honey, this benefit, and then we're going to. So that's one of three significant components of our story, and um, we're all. But we're we're also going to have to identify a time in our past when we we didn't we didn't enjoy that. You know what was going on was in in our past. When were we when we were not living for Christ so intentionally? What what uh, what was that? You know, what were we doing with our lives at that time, and what were we suffering from mm -hmm. at that time? For many of us, it will, I think, will be in our young adult teens, early twenties, something like high school and college, when we maybe were rebelling against our parents and or 
or for whatever, right. whatever, when when we were in when we were invincible, right, and we could do things that are crazy and reckless, and right. and because we are we were so strong and young and those were nice days. Those were awesome. <laughs> uh, but um, what do you think is harder to share the uh, the 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 place where you're at with the joy and the peace, or the sharing in the past when you weren't so much? I th- I think the past is harder. I think well, I, maybe it depends on the per. I'm sure it depends on the person. For for me as a professional religious person, it's harder. I I feel vulnerable when I share my antics as a as a young man. Sure, you know, and so the especially with a collar on. Yeah, so there needs to be prudence in all in in all of that. Yeah. But um, so there's the good news. There's there's the bad news. Uh, of the past there's the good news of, of of living in Christ for Christ and then and then the third part is what happens that caused that transition how did god intervene right. you know how did god intervene and it can be it can be a very natural event and but and it doesn't have to be instantaneous like saint paul is the archetype right he was he hated the church bam He's an apostle. I mean, right. n- that's that's not going to be most of us. It's it, it's going to be. It could be a very. Uh, it could be a, a, an explicitly supernatural event, or it could be as natural as the birth of a child for a lot of people. I think maybe guys more than women, but but certainly women. Like I got to get my act together. Sure, this is. Like I w- I could just live for myself, and now I've got this baby, and so it could be all. It could be natural. It could be supernatural. It could be rather instantaneous. It could certainly unfold over a period of time. But it is life changing. But it, I would say it has to be life changing. Yeah. Some light bulb has to right. kind of. I mean, it might not come on immediately, but it has to start to glow and get brighter and and. Um, uh, yeah, so... Um, I think what's fascinating about that is that um, two people could experience the exact same thing, and for one person, it could be a life-changing experience and bring them to Christ, and the other one's like, oh, whatever. Yes. Well, Maybe and that, they have something different. Yeah. Um, it, it reminds me of... Um, uh, oh, the, and hopefully this is a terrible way to end it when I'm talking about something <laughs> I don't know about, but... Uh, uh, Victor Frankl's book, uh, sure. uh, the experience in the in the concentration camp. I right. think he said that um, about only about ten uh, percent was, I think, was his estimate of people who experienced that terrible experience. Um, only about ten percent experienced it as transformative in a in a way that really um uh took them to a new place and an understanding that was positive for 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 many it was it was of course very it was crushing mm-hmm. and so yeah so people can respond differently but yeah the people we're talking about they're living for Christ so we know that their experience of they they uh, they experienced it in a in a in a positive in a positive way. Right. Yeah. So, um, what do you think? You think you think we've covered this pretty well? Is yeah. there some other points? Uh, 
I think no. I think that I think that was good. I think uh, you know I encourage I encourage folks to check out from Christendom to Apostolic Mission: Pastoral Strategies for an Apostolic Age. I think it gives some helpful vocabulary, names, some phenomena that we've seen in our lives, and it's helpful to to be able to talk to one another about it with that vocabulary. And and then, you know, I think, uh, what are we going to do? We're going to have to use strategies that well, are... what about the other book? Say the other book, too. Let's, the, okay. let's put that Yeah, out. the other book by Terry Barber, <laughs> How to Share Your Faith with Anyone. That'll be in our stuff uh, stuff that we like. We'll put that out there, and I'll put a link so that people can buy it. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah, How to Share Your Faith with Anyone, a practical manual for Catholic evangelization by Terry Barber. And, and I also want to give a shout out to St. Paul Street Evangelization on Friday, tomorrow uh, a parishioner and I are going to go out and do some street evangelization nice yeah, so um, so I'll, maybe someday I can report back on, on how that went and it is not I, I, I put on a, a great show and I'm a ham and, and it's going to be I am going to be outside of my comfort zone well, maybe you invite me to one of these. Yeah, yeah. With. Maybe two, a twosome could be a threesome, and I could join along. And yeah, absolutely. That'd be yeah. Fun. that'd be interesting. I don't know if it'd be fun, but I think it would be really interesting. Yeah, I'll. I will let you know. Okay. I will let you know. I mean, get a couple under your belt. Yeah, I would. I would like that. <laughs> I would like that. All right, Father. Um, I, I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast. Can you uh, accept, can you close us uh, up? Cash uh, checks. I brought you coffee. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that worked. Good. Yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> and again, it's so pleasant to be talking with a priest who isn't verbally abusing me. So, oh, um, my pleasure. That's uh, that's uh, that's really nice. Um, if you could close us in prayer, I'd really appreciate it. Yes. Um, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to be part of your your kingdom building, that we would, we would be invited and, and encouraged to bring the gospel to all peoples, and including those we, we, we come in contact with every day. We ask for your blessings. We ask that Jesus would inspire us, that the Holy Spirit would guide us, that we would have the words that you want spoken to those who need your word. And we ask in a special way for the intercession of St. Mary Magdalene, the Apostle to the Apostles, who brought the good news of the resurrection to the twelve, and through the intercession of St. Mary Magdalene, may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks again, Father. I hope we do this a bunch more times. This is great. You're, yes. you're, a, you're a great villain. Um, and uh, thank you guys for listening, and uh, have a good week, and we will talk to you soon. Take care. <laughs> oh, that is... <laughs> that is the best rendition. That's the best cover of our theme song ever. <laughs>